Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome into the Graham Lincoln MacLean podcast brought to you by Duke's Mayo episode 144 as we continue our ACC under review series. And in this one, we are talking about the champions of the Atlantic Division, the runner up in the Atlantic Coast Conference from the ACC championship game. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons finished their season 11 and 3, finished 15th in the AP poll. What a year it was for the Deeks, Mac. Absolutely, guys. We're super excited for them. Cannot wait to dive into the Demon Deacons a little bit more. Just to update you guys a little bit, the schedule, we keep mentioning it, it is loaded. We're going to continue our mini-series ACC under review. We're going to dive into each and every ACC school, talk about their 21 football season, and we're going to have some of your favorite reporters, writers, radio folks who help cover their team to help us out. We are so excited for these episodes. We hope you enjoyed the Pitt one with Alan Saunders, who uh, covers Pitt and knows everything that's going on with the Pitt Panthers. And just a sneak peek, next week we'll be breaking down Clemson with Grace Rayner and NC State with Joe Giglio. You're not going to want to miss those episodes. Mac, before we tell the people who we are talking about Wake Forest with, we also need to remind them about our amazing sponsors, Duke's Mayo. And I think I need to remind y'all, Duke's has that twang, that little Southern something that elevates food from good to downright ridiculous. Over the past 100 years, Duke's has continued to cultivate and celebrate its commitment to family recipes and bold Southern flavors. In addition to the flagship mayonnaise, which is still made according to American hero, Miss Eugenia Duke's original recipe in Greenville, South Carolina, home of the Kelly Gramlich Show, uh, Duke's offered flavored mayonnaise, regionally inspired Duke Southern sauces, and those mustards. Mac, I am just honored to live in the home of American hero, Mrs. Eugenia Duke. Y'all are basically the same person. I mean, it's We kind of are. Yeah. I, I feel like if I was born in the early 1900s, I would have been named Eugenia, and I would have had <laughs> similar aspirations as um, our dear hero. My favorite thing about Duke's mayo, outside of the twang, is the creativity. Listen to these mayo flavors. You're not going to find this anywhere else. Hint of lime, bacon, tomato, habanero, garlic, cucumber, dill, fire roasted red pepper. Are you kidding me? I love also the mustard, the chipotle mustard. With Maybe, Matt, call me a traditionalist. With some regular Duke's mayo, but it still has that twang. Love that on a sandwich. And really all you need is the bread. And the sauces. But if you want to throw some meat in there, I guess that's fine. Maybe Check a tomato. Out, a ripe yeah, tomato, maybe a tomato. Maybe. That would be delicious. Check out all of these amazing flavors. Head to dukesmayo.com. Embrace the new flavors with that same twang. <laughs> I hear you, KG. Listen, this episode, we mentioned it earlier. We are breaking down the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, their amazing season, 11-3. and three. We have a ton to cover regarding the Deeks and wanted to bring in a great friend, Ethan Joyce. Ethan writes for the Winston-Salem Journal and has been covering the Deeks since 2017. Check out his work on Twitter at ByEthanJoyce. Let's chat with our guy about the number 15 ranked Demon Deacons. Ethan Joyce, my man, welcome into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Appreciate you guys having me. This is my uh, my ACC Network debut, essentially. That's so. right. Come on, come on. <laughs> Welcome to the family. Well, listen, Wake Forest, eleven and three, ACC Atlantic champions, Gator Bowl champions. Really, just I mean, a historic year for the Deeks. Um, just give me your ten thousand foot view. I want to hear you know overall thoughts on you know what they're able to do this season. Yeah, I think I think when you step away from it, you're first talking about one of the best teams that the program's ever seen, really. And I think you've just you, you saw a team that was able to bring it all together at the right time. Um, you know, that's that's a little cliche, obviously, but I mean, as you guys know, so much of what you're able to win and what you're able to do as a program, timing is a big part of that. You know, and so you had these super seniors that were on this team that 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 made a big deal as far as that locker room. Um, I think you could probably point to a bunch of different situations where, you know, super seniors worked, where it didn't, maybe it was time for a program to get a refresh, but for Wake, it was, it was really beneficial to, to have these guys carry over. Um, Obviously incredibly explosive offense, yet a defense that was not the best, but it came up in really big moments and it seemed to, to capitalize in those moments where it needed to the most. Um, and, And I think when you step away, you don't get the ACC championship like that 06 team had, but I, I think to me those are neck and neck teams as far as the pillars of this program and what they've accomplished as the high points. Ethan, when I think of Wake, by the way, I follow Wake pretty closely. My mother-in-law is a, a Deke grad, so I have been kind of indoctrinated into Deke land. <laughs> and when I when I think of Wake, I think of some of their counterparts. I think of Duke. I think of Vanderbilt, perhaps some of these. Northwestern, elite academic institutions that have really never had a lot of football success. Now, we know how consistent Clawson has been elevating this program, getting them to bowls. And this year you have an incredible year that, frankly, some of these other private schools in the Power Five could never dream of when you look at Vandy and all these other schools. So we know about the McCreary football complex, and that's coming. We know about the contracts with Clawson. Why do you think Wake has been able to do what they've done when really all these other small private schools just can't do it? What's been different about Wake? Yeah, I think it's it's honestly like when I hear Dave Clawson talk about the program, it's almost like when I hear a, a group of five coach talk about the way they have to utilize the development of that program, utilize the red shirts. Um, it, I mean, it's very similar. And that's not that's not like me taking a swipe at Wake, but it's just like you – you hear that setup and it's very similar. Like they have to one, be really good at recruiting. They also have to be phenomenal at development. Um, you know, it, it, it's one thing to say that this guy's talented. It's another thing to see what he can be and turn him into that. And I think, I think wake at, at kind of this point in this program, you've got a coach that has everything he wants ironed out. Like he's figured out what works for this program, the offense and and kind of embracing the speed of that offense and its quirkiness. Um, and so I, I think it's just kind of been really realizing what you are, how, how you can kind of, how you can kind of uh, function in the, in the greater college football landscape. And, and again, like it all comes together this year with, with a group of seniors that, you know, we're, we're really motivated. What about administratively? Maybe something you can tell us uh, more behind the scenes. Was there a turning point? I know you've been covering the Deeks uh, for the Winston-Salem Journal since 2017, but was there a turning point that you saw from administration where you're thinking, okay, 
they really want to make this commitment because this kind of stuff doesn't happen if you don't have legitimate commitment from your administration. Yeah, you know, I think I think for one, when John Curry got here, um, it, it was a good thing for the school. And in part, it was a good thing for Dave Clawson at the football program because they had previous experience together. Um, they have a really good working relationship. And I think when you look at you know, a lot of people would ask me during the season, you know, is this the year where Dave Clawson takes a step forward? And I think it's really easy to look at a job a guy has versus a job that's one of the top jobs in America and say, well, he's obviously got to take that. And it, it really doesn't take into account the situation you've been able to build, the people you're working with, exactly how you're getting to run that program. And and I think with Dave Clawson, you've got a coach who knows how he wants to do things. He's able to do them that way here. Um, but I mean, John Curry, I think has been a, a big step. And, and, you know, you mentioned Bob McCreary earlier. That's, that's something that like that, that guy keeps showing up for the football program for the school as a whole, but for the football program, especially as a guy who, who played way back when, when there weren't the story Deacon years, um, you know, and so, you're really kind of seeing that come together. And I think that's starting with, with John Curry being able to fundraise and getting people on board to, to keep the program at the level it's at right now. Yeah. The, the fundraising, the commitment, the, the support, I mean, that it's such a huge piece in today's arm race uh, that is college football. And it's been really just amazing to see, you know, all the folks in development for Wake Forest being able to kind of keep up and to be able to say, okay, you know, we kind of have these key pieces, these cornerstone folks that we can reach out to and make things happen because I think that's just kind of where we are. Uh, you kind of touched on some developmental stuff. You know, it, it was really fun. The more that, you know, we get to do working with an ACC network and, you know, it's, it's kind of different when you work with the big dog, right? Because you kind of have to cover all 130 teams. Being on a, a, a conference network, you can really dive in. And I feel like the relationships are just a little bit different. And, you know, us really you know, building trust and getting in with these Wake Forest coaches and players and, you know, just hearing that, listen, you know, that's what we do. Like we bring guys in, we're going to redshirt them. They're going to go through a process. And then by the time they leave, they're going to be these six-star athletes. I think of Boogie Basham. I think of, you know, Jaquari Roberson taking his next step from this program right now. And, and really all of that stems from Coach Clawson. And Ethan, I want to stay with him for a little bit because I think disrespect's the word. Kelly, I've gone back and forth with this word a hundred times. I know what you're saying. What do I want to call it? I don't know if it's disrespect, but I think the country as a whole just doesn't, they they don't understand Dave Clawson. Right, right. I think that's part of it. Ethan, why is he not in every (laughs) single coaching search when a school is open? I mean, LSU, USC, Oklahoma, whatever it is, like, he's a great coach. And I think people want this sexy big name that makes a splash that, okay, we're just going to fire this guy in four years anyway, instead of somebody who's a really, really good football coach that gets things done. You know, I I wonder if part of it, and this is more hypothetical than really knowing anything, but if you look at his career, Dave Clawson has been a builder. Like he really has, you know, those first couple seasons aren't the best. And then he, he takes those last three to four years and really turns that program into something completely different. You know, you, you see it at at, um, at a bowling green. I mean, you know, that was the last stop, and you really see it in his, his last few seasons, just how good they got so quickly. And I, I think I think what you're hitting on is the the bigger problem in college football for lack of patience. 
and, you know, a program that has the, the high esteem or the history, maybe not being able to look at itself and say, you know, maybe we need to take a couple years, accept the fact that things are going to change a lot here. And then three, four or five years down the road, we've got a completely different program. I, I feel like the ecosystem doesn't necessarily fit Dave Clawson um, everywhere, you know. So I, I, I think if, if you had to boil it down, it's probably that. It's the fact that the, the man needs his time to get things set up. But when he gets it set up, he's rolling. And I just don't know if, if college football as a whole likes patience anymore. It's very true. And Mac always talks about the disrespect. And I'm like, Mac, shh. We don't need anyone taking <laughs> Dave right. Clawson from we'll, Wake. We'll keep it's it a, a secret. Perfect fit. We'll keep it a it's secret. It's a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. Let, okay, let's transition to the field here a little bit, Ethan. With Sam Hartman, who took a huge step forward. And, you know, he's always been a super talented guy. I think the mental health piece was so fascinating that he talked about with us in the middle of the year. And then some of the broadcasts started picking up and talking about it as well and how he's just kind of changed his mindset. I know he still had a couple picks in the ACC title game, and, and that was perhaps a little bit of, um, of him reverting back a little bit. But overall, incredible year for Sam Hartman. What did you see was the main difference between Sam Hartman in 2020 and Sam Hartman in 2021? Yeah, I think, I think first and foremost, and, and Dave Clawson would bring this up all the time, is just his ability to let things go. Um, you know, he, he was able to respond from those – you don't even want to say bad plays, but maybe, you know, mistakes or, or, or kind of issues here and there. And he was really able to just kind of lock in on the next series and, and get rolling again. You know, I think I think 2020 tested people a lot. I think the way Sam ended 2020 was a was a big test, you know, throwing the, the interceptions against Wisconsin and the Dukes Mayo Bowl. But, you know, he just one. I think you just saw a guy that's really grown up in this system. You know, if you think about it, he was starting. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the season it was. It would have been 2018. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and that I mean, that just kind of shows, you know, offhandedly how, how long he's been around. Um, you know, so I think you just saw a guy that was comfortable not only in his system, but what he could do on the football field, um, especially as a runner. You know, I think I think he surprised a lot of people. And, and you know, for him to be in the conversation of a. Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, as far as the amount of touchdowns he accounted for this year is incredible. And I don't know if you would have ever expected that from Sam, even though he was going to be a good college quarterback. No, that's a great point. I mean, the fact that he scored 50 touchdowns, y'all, 50, 39 passing, 11 rushing. He just was able to take his game to a totally another level. And you mentioned those names, Lamar Jackson, 2016, 51 touchdowns, wins the Heisman. Deshaun Watson, 50 touchdowns in 2016, wins a national championship. And then there's little old Sam Hartman right beside him. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to look at uh, the, the type of improvement that he was able to make, the things that he was able to do, and really the ownership of the offense. And, and I think, you know, he knew. I mean, we saw back in media day, he's talking with the press, and he says, listen, if we don't win nine or ten games, this year's going to be a disappointment. Ethan, what the heck were you thinking when he said that? Because I was like, Sam, pump the brakes, dog. Like, let's relax a little bit. You lost a bunch of talent. Uh, but then they go and do it. They're 8-0, number nine in the country, playing UNC. But just what were your thoughts when you heard him say that way back when in Charlotte? You know, I, th I thought that it, it told me that they had a confidence as far as the end of that schedule that 
uh, was yet to be determined, really. You know, I think if you looked at, at their schedule at the start of this season, you did see a pretty winnable schedule to start the year. Um, and, and that said, you know, that included a lot of a lot of toss ups. You know, I think I think at the beginning of the year, you looked at the game against Virginia, the game against Louisville, the game against um, maybe not Syracuse as much, um, but some of those could have gone either way. Um, but if it all fell the right way, you were talking about being maybe eight and no before that stretch of, of Carolina and Clemson and State and Boston College. Um, now they benefited from the fact that Carolina wasn't as good. Um, you know, Boston College kind of had their issues. State is, has probably been the best game year by year for Wake Forest um, every season. Um, and, you know, Clemson was going to be the big challenge still, you know. And, and so I think I think you had a schedule that worked in your favor if you won the games. And so I could see the eight wins for sure. And what that said to me was Wake Forest is expecting to come out of that four game stretch at the end of the year with at least two wins, um, which I think, you know, whoever they were going to be was going to make a big statement, at least when you were talking about the preseason and, and what we thought about the ACC. Ethan, this is a team, and I have said this a few times when we were picking games, and if I didn't really know which team I wanted to go with, I said, okay, the team that's most balanced, I'm going to pick the balanced team. And that's what Wake did, over 500 passing attempts, over 500 rushing attempts. I mean, very a ton of balance there for Wake. Is that something that you feel like they can replicate next year? I know it's the system, but I was very surprised to see Christian Beal Smith transfer. Can you give us some insight on, on what's going on there? Yeah, you know, I think um, with Christian, I think it was I, I kind of always the way that it was talked about with Christian that like it was probably going to be his last year at Wake, whether that was going to be um, I, I kind of always thought that was going to be the NFL um, as far as like the, what changed the decision. I'm not exactly sure. Um, you know, I think I think what's interesting about their run game is that. This year, more than any, you had a really cohesive unit of running backs. Um, I do think they have talent in that room that, that can kind of help deal with the loss of Christian Bill Smith. But one thing that, that people, I don't know if they'll recognize it now, but Christian Bill Smith may have been the best pass blocker on this team. Um, you know, I mean, just like his ability to pick stuff up and keep the pocket open for Sam. I mean, it. He, you would have a lot of O linemen wishing that they could block as well as Christian. He was he was phenomenal this year. I mean, like he really was, and that's that's a thing that you're going to miss with him gone. Um, you know the the balance that you're you're talking to, like it to me, like that a, a great college football offense is is like an accordion style offense. You know, it's like it it gets small, it stretches, it goes back and forth, and and they had this ability to do that this year especially with A.T. Perry um, being able to kind of break things open for them. Um, but you just had a, gr- a selfless group of running backs that weren't really worried about, about their, um, their carries, their yardage, their touchdowns. Um, and I think, I think really they're the, the unsung heroes of, of this offense and why it was so good. And really, I mean, it, it's kind of combining both your worlds here, right? It's kind of like the App State meets – Wake Forest because they had a very similar stable. I mean, they had four guys rush a hundred times. I know Sam Hartman is one of them, but you know that's really what we see from an App State, and when they're hitting it, you know that's what they do. Uh, I thought it was very impressive. And, and is there another guy next year that you know maybe will step up to be the 
you know, the, the third of the three-headed monster that running back room loves to have. And, and I think that'll really help, you know, Wake Forest moving forward just because I think that's what they want to be. I think this year alone was the perfect snapshot of this is what we want our offense to look like. If you spoke to these coaches, I think that's exactly what they would say. And it's also held by a, a star-studded wide receiver room. I mean, Ja'Cory Roberson going to the NFL but had 71 receptions, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, and then A.T. Perry, I mean, he just emerged as a dog. I mean, there's no other way to say it. 71 catches as well, 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns. I mean, what are the expectations for that guy next year? I mean, are we talking first-round draft pick? Are we talking uh, coming back and maybe doing something again? What what does this guy look like when he decides to leave and kind of next year? Yeah, you know, I (laughs) – AT really caught people by surprise, but I think early in fall camp, you can maybe see the kind of the shine coming through. Um, you know, one of the things that that stood out to me, I can't remember who said it at this point, but they were saying that, you know, they used to keep up with the contested catches in fall camp and AT was just blowing people out of the water as far as the, the wide receiver room. I didn't want to embarrass them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, they kind of knew that AT could probably probably have a good year. Do you expect 15 touchdowns? Probably not. But I mean, his ability to to secure those those big catches, those big gains, which I mean, those explosive plays. I mean, you live and die by those now in college football. And I think Clawson is so funny about AT because he's like, I don't want to talk too much about AT because, you know, he's he's got enough confidence as it is. And so I think <laughs> I think this was the year where confidence matched play. Yeah. And I think I think how you build on that is, you know, like they everybody around that wide receiver group, you know, talking about Clawson and, and you know, the wide receiver coach, Kevin Higgins, they say like he still has a, there's still so much potential for him to tap into, Wow. Um, you know, and so. I think to me that says you become a better route runner, you become more technical on those routes, and 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 the talent's going to speak for itself. I don't think there's any question there, and it's so funny you mention you know everyone kind of taking notice in camp. Uh, you know we we did kind of our tour in the fall and and really just went around to to see different teams while they were in camp. And EJ Manuel, Jordan Cornette go down to Wake Forest. They're excited to see. Roberson, they're excited to see Marin. Uh, I, I can't remember if Donovan Green was was hurt yet or not, but so that's who they're going to see. And then EJ sees you know number nine walking around. He's like, "Who is that? Who's that guy?" And uh, you know just emerges so quickly. Uh, it's fun to see, but that that room is so loaded. I mean, Taylor's coming back, AT's coming back, Keyshawn Williams will be another year older, and then hopefully Green comes back nice, nice and healthy. I mean, these guys are stacked. It should be another really fun year for Wake in 22. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it all depends on, um, in part, kind of what that O-line looks like. Um, you know, I think, I think where you saw Wake struggle is when they would run into teams that could be very physical. Um, you know, Clemson, obviously. Um, State, I kind of thought would be a little more physical. Right. Um, you know, like the... I'm, I'm trying to, oh, you know, Carolina, another example of like, they didn't play as well as everybody thought they would this year, but they were still incredibly physical. Um, so, you know, what that O-line looks like obviously is going to gonna set the tone for everything else, but I think they feel really good about the pieces they've got coming back right now. Ethan, you know, many people said that the Achilles heel this year for Wake Forest was their defense. 
They're bringing in a guy who has been at Wake before, defensive coordinator Brad Lambert. How do you think that can change Wake? Can they make significant improvements on the defensive end next year? So I think, for one, when you run an offense that's this fast, um, I think you have to accept the fact that the yardage numbers are probably going to be bigger than you like for them to be. Um, that said, you know, yardage isn't necessarily indicative of what's a good defense anymore in, in the year of our Lord 2021 college football. Um, or I guess 2022 now. Um, but, you know, Brad, I think, is a really good return to, um, you know, a, a defense that hopefully for the program can tackle a little bit better. Um, you know, I think really when you boil it down, it was tackling more than anything. Um, it was, you know, seeing those moments, even against Rutgers, where they would get into the backfield for a sack that just wouldn't come to fruition. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying anything that their coaches aren't saying to him, but like when you get that close to a quarterback and you don't get him down and you glance off of him, that's a problem. Um, you know, and I think, you know, that was just kind of one of many instances where the tackling just, just didn't catch up to snuff. So, uh, Brad Lambert's a great pickup for them because one, he's, he's had some strong defenses throughout his career. He's really done a good job since he was the head coach at Charlotte, you know, kind of where he, I think he was at Marshall and then he went to Purdue, um, had good defenses there. I got to see his defense against app in uh, the 2020 season. And, you know, they shut down an offense that I thought should have been better that day. Um, you know, so I, I think if, if, if you can, if you can kind of set up a new foundation for tackling, I think everything else falls into place a little better because there is talent on this defense is there's a ton of talent. And so I think if you're, if your scoring defense number is low next season and you're giving up a lot of yards because the defense is just going to be on the field a little bit more with this type of offense, you're really happy with that. It, it seems you mentioned tackling. I mean, it just seems that that is an, ACC problem right now when I think of some of the defenses that should be better but just aren't I I think of Miami I think of North Carolina I think of Wake Forest and it all boils down to tackling I mean there was a point in the season that Miami had missed like 200 tackles I mean it was absurd when you see that and and just how much can fundamentals how much can getting back to the basics really help your team and I think when you bring in a guy that has been held to a different standard that's going to hold Wake Forest to a different standard um, coming back in, I think that's a positive thing. So I, I think this return is going to be really good for Wake. I think it's exciting. And, uh, you know, moving forward should be something that, you know, a lot of folks are excited about. Ethan, let's look at next year just a little bit. 22, what kind of expectations do you have for this Wake Forest team? Are we talking about repeating? Are we talking about going to another massive bowl? What does it look like for you going into 22 on uh, January 11th? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think really when you look at everything that's coming back, um, you I don't think you can really question if this team can produce this again. I think they have all the pieces to do it. Um, you know, I think I think when you're when you're boiling it down, it is going to come back to that fundamental tackling issue. Um, you know, it's, it's honestly incredible to me, um, and this isn't trying to be backhanded, but it's incredible to, me, incredible to me that a team that is this good, 11 wins, could have such a flaw on that side of the ball. Um, I, you know, I think, 
I think it's I think it's a good change that you're going to have a new defensive coordinator now to try to to try to answer that question differently. Um, you know, so 2022, I really think you know you you have to take the run at Clemson a little bit more in my mind. If you're Wake Forest, I think that's what that's what's gonna what's gonna really say if this is sustainable or not. Um, and that's a tall order because even in a in a down year, you know, they're a, they're a top 20 program. You know, it's just like, I think, I think you have to have a game that's a little more competitive with Clemson. I think, I think that's really, you know, if you're going to be a, a team that steps forward in this division, um, it's got to be a little tighter than that. You benefit from the, from the, the craziness that was, you know, that, that triangle of state wake and Clemson trying to figure out who was going to go to the title game. Um, and, and fortunately for Wake, it was them because, you know, they did everything they could as right as they could up to that point. Um, I think I mean, I really think you should have high expectations for this. I think it should be a top 15 team starting the football season, um, you know, just because you've got Sam Hartman and so many pieces that I put a lot of faith in, in them being able to score more points than the other guy. I am so intrigued to your point, Ethan, about. And I know it's it's going to be in July, so it's a it's a long ways away. But how the media votes for the Atlantic? We were just talking about Pittsburgh. We both think Pittsburgh should be the favorite in the Coastal. We'll see because people start getting charmed by Miami, and then who knows? But on the Atlantic side, you've got Clemson, NC State, and Wake. I could make the argument that with with who everyone's returning, it, NC State should be the favorite. But you know, Clemson's going to get the media bump. Is there any chance that Wake is picked to win the Atlantic as the defending champions? No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I mean, but you're right, though. It's, it's, you know, I think, I think by and large, if you really were to sit down and think, um, who, is, who is the person that I, like, who do I have to bet on to make it there? Um, it's hard not to pick Clemson. Um, State does have so much coming back. And I think you're going to see, I think, I think Wake, I think, that's the hard part because those are going to be three really good teams next year, I think. Um, and so I don't know if it's a slight to Wake Forest if they are three of three when it comes to those the, the rankings of those three teams to start the year. But you're right, and it's going to drive me crazy when <laughs> it's going to drive me crazy when I see the top twenty-five poll next year and Miami's going to be in it, and it's just like. Maybe it's, higher than Wake. Ethan, Miami is not going to only be in it. They're going to be in the top ten. Just get ready. <laughs> Just get ready. And it's like I'm a big I'm a big Cristobal fan. Like I, you know, yeah. like I had a he was he's a great coach. Like I had a really good interaction with him when I was working on a project on on like Hispanic and Latino coaches. And so like I I think it's great for football when the U is at a peak again. But like it's I mean it's like I think I I rank Carolina decently high in my opening poll not as high as everybody else ranked them because I was just like man last year was so good you know and you lose all these NFL guys um I don't know people just fall in love in the preseason and that's fine it's you know you get swept up in the 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 promise in the air but it always comes truth a few weeks into the season that's right always that's right it comes to light Ethan this was so much fun man thank you for your help thank you for helping us break down the Demon Deacons and and really just what 21 was to them Uh, good luck the rest of the season man we'll have to chat again when we start talking about previews of 2022 appreciate you guys thanks a lot 
man, that was so much fun. Talking about the Atlantic side champions, Wake Forest, the things that they were able to do uh, in that division, truly special and very thankful and grateful for Ethan sharing some insight there, uh, our insider for Wake Forest, if you will. KG, I want to spend a little time here on the Atlantic division because bringing that up towards the end of the interview was really fascinating. You asked the question, you know, will they be favored? Where where will Wake Forest kind of be? And when I'm looking at Clemson, who I think is going to be the favorite, NC State, Wake Forest, maybe even Boston College, I mean, I think we're going to see a disparity in votes in who's going to be number one. I think it's going to be a very slim margin. I do think the Tigers will be on top, uh, but this should be a really fun side of the conference. Okay, here's the thing, Mac. And you've got three teams that finished in the top 20 on the Atlantic side, NC State, Wake, Clemson. What's even funnier, or I would say more intriguing, is they all beat each other. NC State beat Clemson, Clemson beat Wake, Wake beat State. It just, it's a circle. So a triangle, I guess, is the better term. Oh, a research you triangle. Learn some geometry. <laughs> yeah, all the, oh, yes. So it's going to be really interesting. Now, Mac, if Clemson wasn't Clemson, and the brand and, and having won national titles and all that, NC State should be the favorite. I, I think it's it's really a no-brainer because they beat Clemson and they lost to Wake in a game where it could have gone either way. So when you look at the matchups in between all three, I think NC State should be the favorite. But Clemson will get that bump. And a lot of it will come down to what we're hearing in the offseason between spring ball and July between Klubnik and DJ. And either DJ's taking a big step forward or Klubnik is really pushing him, and it could be a Trevor Lawrence, Kelly Bryant situation. I think that's going to be the kicker because if Clemson still can't get good quarterback play, then it's got to be NC State. And I feel bad because Wake should probably get more love. But when you look at Wake, you, you look at how they did struggle down the stretch, and they were blown out by Clemson, and they were blown out by Pitt. So that hurts them, our most recent memories. And it may have helped NC State if they had been able to actually play UCLA. And if they had beaten them badly, it would help with um, with their perception as well. But, Mac, as of now, I'd probably vote NC State right here on January 11th. I don't believe that. That's not true. You're just saying – you know why you're saying that? Because no, I think I would. we have Joe Giglio coming on next week. That's why you have it <laughs> saying. Guys, we, we're breaking down each and every ACC team. Next week, as I mentioned, we're going to break down the Tigers and the NC State Wolfpack. Really excited for both of those. Grace Rayner is going to join us from the Clemson side. And as I mentioned, Joe Giglio is going to come over from the pack side. So that's going to be a ton of fun. You know what also is a ton of fun, KG? Listening to the podcast hmm. Automatic. Our producer, Richmond Weaver, does an awesome job. It's so much fun to listen to. Each and every week, uh, he has some great guests, great analysis, breaking down the men's and women's game. KG, you were just on that podcast, weren't you? I was. Richmond and Steffi Sorensen do a great job, so check that out. As as we get fully into hoop season, we will stay a football pod, but for all things basketball, you go to Richmond and you go to Steffi with Automatic. And his other podcast, Richmond is all over the place, Rich Take on Sports, where he interviews some really interesting guests in the sports world. So make sure you check out both of those pods. Listen, he is the busiest guy in sports. Somehow makes time for us. We're so grateful always for the great work that Rich does. But y'all, thank you for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and MacLane brought to you by our friends over at Duke's Mayo. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.